0: So, this morning, we are going to be back in Matthew chapter 21, uh, verses 18 through 22. And uh, I, <laughs> I'll i be honest, I've never really taken a good hard look at this passage. I've read it, but I've never really studied it all that deep. I imagine probably most of us have heard sermons on it or something. But um, there are two things going on in this passage. Uh, tied together by a question on the part of the disciples. And uh, the first event is going to take some really good explanation. Because without the proper context, it it really looks a lot like Jesus is throwing a temper tantrum. Which is uh, very out of character for the self-sacrificing Son of God uh, to throw a temper tantrum like that. So... Uh, It's very important for us to take a good look at the first part, uh, specifically verses 18 and 19, before we examine uh, exactly what's going on. So I'm going to invite everybody to stand. Hear God's Word. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. Let's pray. Father, as I have just said, this is a difficult passage for us to understand. So I pray that you would give us the clarity of mind and the ability to understand what's going on in this picture. Father, we pray all this through Jesus. Amen. Please have a seat. So the, the, the cursing of the fig tree... Also appears in Mark's Gospel chapter 11 and Mark gives us a little piece of information that Matthew doesn't but it really doesn't help Jesus' uh, it really doesn't help Jesus's case if this is Jesus throwing a temper tantrum. if you flip over to uh, Mark 11 just for a second, uh, I didn't think to have it thrown into the the slideshow so you'll have to actually turn there. Um, Mark 11 beginning in verse 12. Mark records it this way. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Did you catch verse 13? Let me read it again. When he came to the tree, he found nothing but leaves because it wasn't the season for figs. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm going to fully admit to my humanity here. Okay. Jesus is the omnipotent second person of the Godhead. It is him who is listed as the creative agent in creation he knows all things why would he go to a fig tree and be surprised that there weren't any figs on it if it wasn't fig season well if you read it in the plain english it sounds like he was surprised he got to the he was hungry and he went to the fig tree what did he find he found leaves now Having eaten Greek food before, fig leaves are not bad if you wrap them around meat and rice and and some other things that actually give them some substance. They're a little bit tart, and you need to cook them. But Jesus went to the fig tree looking for figs. But it's not fig season. What in the world is going on? So, here you go. The fig tree was one of the two most important crops in Israel. What was the other? The olive tree. The olives, of course, they would, they would grow the fruit, the olive fruit, and they would press the olives for the oil, which was used for cooking. It was used for religious services. It was used for um, lamps. Olive oil was used for everything. Okay? Okay. And the fig would also be used for export. They would trade the figs for other products that they couldn't grow in Israel. So they were, Israel was very well known for the figs that they grew. And there were a lot of different fig types that were cultivated in Judea. The largest percentage of them would flower, fruit, and ripen during fig season, but there were outlier varieties, just like we have varieties of vegetables and fruits that we grow in our gardens that you may plant this one because it's known to produce fruit early in the season, and then you plant the majority of the harvest, that it's when everything else is ready, and then you plant some that fruit late in the harvest. There were certain types of figs that would fruit outside of fig season. Well, that means the season isn't worth a whole lot to tell if a tree is going to have figs on it, right? Unless you happen to be a a horticulturalist, that's a hard word to say this morning, I thought it was a good word when I put it in my notes. Unless you happen to be into botany, you may have a hard time picking out an early fig tree from a normal fig tree from a late fig tree. So, if it's not fig season, how could you tell if a fig tree was going to have figs on it? It was the leaves. When a fig tree is in full production of figs, it is full of leaves. So when Matthew, or sorry, when Mark says that, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, what does that look like? That looks like a fig tree that's producing figs. Seeing a fig tree in leaf, Jesus went to the tree to look for figs. But there were no figs on the tree. As they're coming back from Bethany, Jesus is hungry. He sees the tree. It's got leaves on it. Hey, let's stop here for breakfast. Could you imagine being an over-the-road truck driver, right? Long-distance truck driver. You've been driving all night. Your stomach is growling. It's time for breakfast. Off in the distance, you see a sign for Denny's Waffle House. Pick one of those restaurants that people stop at for breakfast, right? Or maybe it's even a truck stop. So you see the sign in the distance and you think, awesome, I'm going to stop and get some breakfast and you pull in to the Waffle House or Denny's or IHOP or whatever it is. And there's a big sign on the door that says, sorry, we have no food. This is what Jesus just saw. He got to the fig tree and there was a big sign, sorry, no food. The tree lied to him. It was falsely advertising that it was full of figs, but it wasn't full of figs. And so Jesus does what makes everybody think that he was throwing a temper tantrum. He cursed the fig tree. And on the spot, the fig tree withered and it died. Right there. He said, may no one ever get fruit from you again. And the fig tree withered and died. Like that. He wasn't cursing the fig tree because he was angry at it. He wasn't cursing the fig tree because, uh, in, in today's modern English dictionary, because he was hangry. Okay, that's a combination of hungry and angry. He didn't curse it because he was disappointed. He was actually teaching the disciples a lesson. If you look back over at Mark's gospel again, you will notice that the passage that we're looking at in Matthew is actually split one half and then the other half, and in between is the cleansing of the temple. Mark puts it in between the two. That means it's tied together somehow, right? Well, Jesus is not teaching a parable, but he's demonstrating a parable. a, A parable of action, if you will. The fig tree being full of leaves but empty of fruit, was an analogy for Jerusalem. Now they're coming from Bethany, which is just a short walk outside of the city of Jerusalem. They're they're approaching the city. Yesterday, by Matthew's account, Jesus cleansed the money changers out of the temple. Remember what we talked about? In the the courtyard, that 35-acre courtyard the court of the Gentiles, where Jesus walks in and it sounds like a county fair and there's people who are selling pigeons and goats and and everything else for sacrifice, but they were gouging their customers. And there's people who were converting the money from the Roman money to the money that was allowed to be used in the temple and they were charging exorbitant fees. They were using uneven scales. And Jesus chased them out. But also present in the courtyard were who? The priests and the scribes and the Levites. All the people who knew what the temple was about. And they're in the courtyard and they're not doing anything about the money changers. They're not doing anything about the people who are selling the pigeons and the goats and everything else. They're just standing there watching the crowd. So then after Jesus drives them out and he starts healing people, then what happens? the priests get mad at Jesus because the children are crying out, blessed is the son of David. And Jesus says, don't you guys ever read your Bible? Right? So there was plenty of religion in Jerusalem. People were, this is the season of the Passover, the the feast of the unleavened bread. People are in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is bursting at the seams for the festival, for the feast. There are people bringing animals for sacrifice and and everything else going on. And people are all there to do the right stuff. But their godliness was missing. There was no fruit in their life. There was lots of leaf. The priests and the scribes had no problem with people being robbed. But they had a problem with people praising the Son of God. The Pharisees would tithe on their dill plants in their window boxes, but they wouldn't care for their elderly parents. They would travel to the ends of the earth to make a disciple, to make a convert to Judaism, to the law, to the oral tradition that was legalistic and dead. Jerusalem with Herod's temple gleaming atop the Temple Mount looked like it should be bursting with fruit. You could hear the prayers. You could hear the people coming to make their sacrifices and to be obedient, but it was all just eyewash. So when Jesus got to the fig tree and there was no fruit and he judged the fig tree, he was judging hypocrisy. We've talked about hypocrisy. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. That appearance that's different from our profession, right? It's the, the appearance of holiness, but we're actually far from God. It's doing the right stuff for the wrong reasons. Or maybe it's saying the right stuff, but doing the exact opposite in your life. The word hypocrisy comes from the word for an actor in the ancient Greek theater. The the word hypocrite is the word that was used for a play actor, somebody who acts under false pretenses, right? That's what Jesus was looking at. Now, what is the biggest reason that people give for not being part of the church? It's full of hypocrites. You know, that would be a cry in shame that that is their charge if it wasn't so true. We give the world a picture that we are somehow better than others because we're in Christ. I'm not better than anybody. And they see that when I live, when when I go driving past and somebody cuts me off and and there's a a person who recognizes my car and they see me beating on the steering wheel and, and, and looking, I'm not praising God while I'm doing that. When they hear me at the water fountain cracking up to dirty jokes, but they know I'm a pastor... That doesn't, that the pictures don't fit, right? So what they have in their mind is this idea that I'm telling everybody that I'm somehow better than they are, but really when it comes to the way I live my life, I'm down there in the pigsty just like they are. <clears throat> That's what was happening in Jerusalem. Yeah, you had people who were taking the sheep to the temple for sacrifice. This happened back in Malachi. Remember what God said through Malachi? Stop bringing your sacrifices. Just quit. I'm sick of it. Why would God tell the people all of a sudden, quit bringing your sacrifices? They were obedient. God said he wants me to bring a sheep. Let's take that one. Why'd you pick that one? Well, let's see, because he's lame in his back right leg, he's blind in one eye, he's not good for siren any more young ones, so we might as well just we might as well get rid of him. Really? So your offering to God is a I might as well get rid of. Is God the goodwill thrift store? Where you take the stuff you don't want anymore? That's not what God demands for a sacrifice. That's not what He wants from us. He wants our best. He wants, He wants something that's going to cost us because it shows that we trust Him to provide and to care for us. The people in Israel for, this is 400 years. Malachi wrote His prophecy 400 years before Jesus showed up on the scene. And the people are still doing the same thing. They're taking the old, lame, blind sheep. They're dragging the carcass that probably died on the way into the temple for the priest to sacrifice. How are you going to drain the blood out of it? Go ahead. You you cut the throat. and I'll, I'll give it CPR to get the blood out. They were doing the right stuff. but with the wrong heart. And so the fig tree showed all the right signs, but didn't have any fruit. You know, in John's gospel, even though this passage isn't in John's gospel, in the upper room discourse, Jesus says to the disciples that that whole, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? If you abide in me and I in you, then you'll produce fruit. And then he goes on and he says, any branch that does not produce fruit will be cut off and cast into the fire, right? Well, boy, that picture sounds similar, doesn't it? Jesus has no use for people who claim the name of Christ, who profess to be Christians, but aren't. We're told that the day of judgment, what's going to happen? Jesus is going to go walking through the crowd and he's going to say, okay, it's like playing duck, duck, goose, except it's sheep, sheep, goat. He's going to be walking through the crowd and sheep, 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 goat. Believer, 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 not. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, on that day, Many are going to stand before me and say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we sing in the choir, make the offerings, teach Sunday school, wear our suits to church? Didn't we do all the right stuff? And what's Jesus's answer? Depart from me, you evil doers, for I never knew you. The people in Jerusalem acted like they were God's best buddy. but they weren't. It was empty ritual. And so Jesus curses the fig tree. Now, I love this. I love this because this is is what stands Christianity and the Bible apart from every other religion. All right? Because Jesus has handpicked 12 disciples, we'll exclude Judas from counting for just a second, okay? But at least 11 of them have made some effort at recognizing who Jesus was. Okay? And yet, what does Matthew tell us in verse 20? When the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? Seriously? No other religious text shows the foundational members of that religion as being so deeply flawed. These 11 men, they had seen Jesus walk on water on the Sea of Galilee. They had seen Jesus calm the storm with a word, peace be still, right? They had seen him feed 5,000 people with (laughs) just with a couple of cans of tuna and a couple of biscuits. (coughs) They had seen him cast demons out into a herd of swine. They had seen him heal the blind and restore their sight. They had seen him raise the lame, take up your mat and walk. They had seen him give uh, the ability to hear to the deaf. They had seen him touch a leper, and he was cleansed and restored. They had seen him restore Jairus' daughter, from dead. And yet, he curses a fig tree and their response is, how'd you do that? I would really, really, really love to say that I would never ask such a stupid question to Jesus. But I would be right there with him. Because I see the things that God has done every day. And you know how I respond? How'd you do that? And then Jesus gives us an answer. Now, again, if you don't have the proper context, you're going to get the wrong idea about who Jesus is. All right. In the first couple of verses, you're going to get the idea that Jesus throws temper tantrums. We've already dealt with that. He's teaching them a lesson. Right. In the next couple of verses, if you don't have the proper context, Jesus has suddenly turned into a health and wealth prosperity preacher. Because in the next verse, he says, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you'll not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to the mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. I'm pretty sure I have heard Benny Hinn say the same thing. Context, context, context. But that's not what he's saying. Here, he's just given us an object lesson about hypocrisy, right? He has just shown that hypocrisy is not acceptable in God's sight. In cleansing the temple, he dealt with it. In in the fig tree here, he has illustrated this. And... First and foremost, we have to be true to the faith that we claim to have. Right? So he tells the disciples, if you have faith and do not doubt. Well, I can't have faith and do not doubt if I don't live according to the faith that I say I have. If I say that I believe that I am saved 100% wholly and entirely because of the work and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but then I act like I have to work my tail off in order to get to heaven, there's a problem. I hope you all understand this. My good works don't mean anything for my salvation. They are the result, not the cause. We can't be hypocritical in our faith walk and have faith and not doubt. Second, when I live according to my faith, I'm not talking about an empty, pietistic, legalistic, external keeping of behaviors and shunning of other behaviors. Hear me out. Those first four adjectives, empty. The Jews were doing the right stuff, but it was empty. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are where? Far from me. Right? We can't be far from him in our life, in our walk. We can't just, I can't just not smoke, not drink, not party, not listen to heavy metal music. I can't just do those things out of empty obedience. They must come from conviction by the Holy Spirit. They must be done out of gratitude for what God has done in my life. I told you all about my history teacher when I was in high school. He was a teetotaler. He never drank alcohol. He did not cuss. And I had lots of opportunity, reenacting the Civil War with Bob Bailey, to have heard him cuss. Not once did a cuss word pass his lips. To the best of my knowledge, he was an atheist. Having faith is not just an external checklist of rules. Having faith means that the things that we do are genuine acts of worship. We do them because God is worthy. We do them because we love Him. We do them because He saved us from a future of eternal torment in hell. And by the way, who's going to be tormenting those who are in hell? God is. It's his wrath. He's delivered us from it. Our speech, our work habits, our prayers, our songs, the life that we live have to be focused on glorifying God, even if it's not something we would consider to be sacred. How does Paul put it? Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink. So does that mean when I went to McAllister's yesterday, that 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 was a sacred meal or a secular meal? Depends. What attitude did I do it with? You know, God doesn't see things that way. He sees everything that I do. If it's done with a, a grateful heart towards him for blessing me with the ability to have that food, then it's sacred. Faith is reflected in everything that we do in our lives. If I really believe that God is sovereign over everything, why do I panic when things are out of my control? How's that one? Ouch. All right, I'll stop meddling. Why do I worry when I can't see my way through obstacles? Why do I get angered over things that offend Bill? Why haven't I spoken to my neighbor yet? Why does my faith look like a well-aged piece of Swiss cheese? Jesus answered the disciples. He said, if you have faith and do not doubt. Effective faith is faith that doesn't have doubt. How many of you have faith and no doubt? Well, that's pretty easy. None of us do. None of us do. No, not one. Because we still live in this world of flesh. I still deal with the old man. I still deal with my natural tendencies. I still have to, how did Jesus put it? (laughs) Take up my cross and follow him daily. Sometimes hour by hour. I still in my flesh believe the Satan's lie. If you eat of the fruit. You will be like God. My flesh still wants to be the one in charge of my destiny. So what does that mean? Why bother? I can't have that kind of faith. I can't be as obedient as Jesus wants me to be. Why do I even bother trying? Because we're not alone in this walk. For he himself has said, I will never leave you. Or forsake you. If you are a child of God, He will give you the strength to live this life. He will not make you walk through it on your own. Paul wrote that for every temptation which is common to men, God provides the way of escape. Does He lead us through it? No, He provides the way of escape. We, in our flesh, don't even look for it, generally until after the fact, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the one that everybody's okay with, right? And I'm going to say everybody's okay with it because most every one of us is is probably carrying at least 10, maybe 20, maybe 40, maybe 80 extra pounds, right? We're all okay with lack of self-control at the buffet, There ain't a one of us that looks for the way of escape when we're standing at the Golden Corral. Alright? I went out for lunch on Friday with a couple of guys from work. We went out to Aunt Jenny's Catfish. I took the way of escape. I ordered the large plate instead of the all-you-can-eat. That's not what we do in our life. I look for the way of escape after I'm done. When I'm sitting at the table dreading the fact that I have to heave myself up to my feet and make my way to the car and then go home and pass out from my high blood sugar levels and the sudden flush of insulin that's going to hit my body as my pancreas tries to keep up, right? That's when I started thinking, man, I probably shouldn't have had that cheesecake and bread pudding, and pizza, and spaghetti, and chicken wings. You get my drift? I don't look for the way of escape until I'm already suffering the consequences for the sin. That's who we are. And yet God gives us the way of escape every time. What would be the way of escape at the buffet? Oh, I don't know. How about listening to the call of the Holy Spirit? self control. Just order the pizza. Stick with one plate. So when Jesus tells the disciples that if they have faith and do not doubt, they can not only do what's been done to the fig tree, but if they say to the mountain, be taken up and thrown to the sea, it will happen. Obviously, Jesus is talking in hyperbole. He's exaggerating. There is no recorded case in history where a Christian had so much faith that they turned to a mountain and said, You, into the sea. Didn't happen. However, as we walk with Jesus, as we listen for the way of escape, as we stop following after our flesh, as we worship the way God wants us to, He wants us to worship in spirit and in truth. He doesn't want us just to come to church because we come to church. He wants us to worship him, to show him his value in our lives, out of gratitude for what he's done, not to earn our keep. As we do that, as we move in our life, Paul says we're we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, right? We're a new creature in Christ. As we live that life of obedience and we become more and more and more conformed to the image of Christ, then our faith is going to have less holes in it. It's going to have less doubt. But first, we have to move away from the leafy fig tree that doesn't have any fruit and start living that life that's surrendered to Christ. Anything that hinders my relationship with God, that slows my ability to be obedient to what He's called me to do and to be, is going to cause me issues with my prayers. Little honesty moment here. I'm gonna I'm gonna take it on faith that everybody in here prays more than just when they sit down to eat a meal. How many times have you ever thought, why do I bother praying, nothing ever happens? You ever thought that? I have. I'm not ashamed to admit it. So is it because God's not doing what I ask? I mean, Jesus says, if you pray and you have faith, and you don't doubt. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will do for you. So I make sure that I say in Jesus' name at the end of every prayer. Is that what he meant? No. (laughs) No, that's not what he meant. As we live more in God's will, our desires are going to change. Let's look at being in a relationship with somebody else, right? let's say a a husband-wife relationship or a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship or even a work relationship, a partnership with somebody, right? The closer you get to the other person in that relationship, be it a a marriage or, or whatever, the more your desires change. My desire is a whole lot less for what makes Bill happy. My desire is more for what makes Steph happy for what brings her fulfillment. Why? Because I take joy in seeing her fulfilled. Right? As my relationship with God improves, as my obedience improves, as my growth in Christ improves, as I become more Christ-like, the less I want what I want, And the more I want what God wants. Now, if I stand up here and in full faith, I pray for (coughs) a winning lottery ticket. I really don't think that's God's will for my life because he hasn't told me to go buy a lottery ticket. Could he do it? Yes, he could. I could go home and there'd be a winning lottery ticket in my mailbox. Right? I don't think that's His will for my life. However, I do know it's His will for my life for me to pray, for me to be more faithful with the resources that I have for the kingdom of God. Right? Which prayer is more likely to be answered? The one that comes out of a position of faith. The one that aligns with God's will for my life. Not the one that aligns with Bill's will for my life. Right, want a big house, big boat, happy family, kids all graduate from school and no debt. Yeah, I'd love that. That'd be great. Is that what God wants for my life? Uh, Gazing from the last 44 years worth of direction, probably not. He wants me to grow in trusting Him. I can guarantee you that if I'm living a life like the fig tree that's all leaf and no fruit, that means I'm out of His will entirely. And if I'm out of His will entirely, then there is no way, no way that my prayers will be answered. Because I don't have faith because they don't have faith in no doubt. So like I said, kind of a hard passage. That poor fig tree, all leaf and no fruit. But what an example of our life. Jesus doesn't want us to be a bunch of fig trees that are all leaf and no fruit.